everyone. Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table, a healthcare podcast for burnout prevention, career development, and non-clinical careers. So John, good to see you. I know we've got a very exciting topic today. Today we're actually going to be doing an educational topic. So for listeners that may be new or for listeners that have been with us for a while, the three formats we try and stick with are interviews, and then we like to do off scripts, although this is maybe looking like an off script because John and I are distracted. And then we also like to do uh, more formatted educational topics that hopefully have good action items for you in your healthcare career. So, John, I'm going to kick it to you. What educational topic are we going to tackle today? It really is surrounding networking. And we've talked a bit about networking. Do we want to jump right into it? Yeah. No, I think the only thing I would say is that you and I have been talking about networking a lot, in part because of some of the external work that we do that is off air. And I think in healthcare, we really have a networking deficit. When you look at under other industries, people that don't work in healthcare, I think a lot of times people understand that in business, it's who you know. We've talked in the past on the podcast about the majority of job postings never being public, that very often these jobs come from knowing somebody and being able to be referred before a job is even publicly advertised. And Yet in healthcare, I feel like so often we we get into this sense of complacency where we are working our clinical job, we see the same five or six people that we work with in our department day in and day out, and we make no effort to either meet with other people that work in our specialty or even meet with other people that are in our profession. And I think it's a, a huge deficit to career progression. There's a lot that we lose out on as a result. So I'm really excited to maybe lay that out. And the one thing that I'm hoping to take away from this, John, is that we can leave listeners with action items. So for each section that we talk about, I want to finish it with an actionable thing that they can do when they finish listening to this that can help them improve their networking skills. First, we're going to talk about LinkedIn networking. We've talked about this many times in the past. Um, We've hit LinkedIn like a dead horse, but it's more of a treasure trove. There's so much to learn. Uh, every time I get on, I, I feel like I find another um, aspect of LinkedIn I haven't seen before. So LinkedIn being the world's largest professional network, uh, it's definitely a tool that we can use as healthcare professionals uh, for multiple outcomes. So Mike, let's talk about a few points in LinkedIn or how LinkedIn can help us connect with other folks within our own industries or without uh, without our industries. Yeah, so I just, quick Google search, LinkedIn has a billion members in more than 200 countries. In the US alone, in late 2023, there was 220 million LinkedIn users. So really, you know, two out of three. And if you factor in US population, but a lot of those may be senior citizens or uh, minors, that really means I think a majority of working age adults have a LinkedIn. And within that, people that have a LinkedIn account, almost half, 48% of them log in at least once per month. And I think that's really the key as we're talking about networking is this is very different than scrolling Twitter to see your favorite NFL teams updates or things like that. But rather, if you're on LinkedIn, that is usually B2B or some level of professional interaction. So even someone that's just logging in once a month 
a hiring manager or something like that, that's still very relevant and important. So you and I, like you said, we've beaten this like a dead horse. So people may be sick of hearing about it, but we really both strongly believe in LinkedIn as a powerful tool for professional networking, one that's going to continue to grow. And a couple of the reasons for it, if we go more specifically of why it's so powerful in healthcare, is as we said earlier, LinkedIn has a billion users. So the majority of LinkedIn users are out of this country. And you might think to yourself, in healthcare, that doesn't matter, right? I don't care if I have someone working in Spain who is interested in my LinkedIn profile. But when we're talking about side hustles or non-clinical careers, there's more and more opportunity to connect with people that may not be in the US, may not be in your country, but still may be able to collaborate on projects, whether that be research, whether that's a non-clinical role, maybe you're taking a consulting gig or working on a, a project for a medical education company. There's a lot of opportunity to connect with people outside of your country and still have um, opportunities to cross collaborate on projects or find different ways to, to overlap with careers. I want to ask you a quick question. When you log into your LinkedIn, when you have all your little different notifications that pop up, what is the first thing that you look at? Like if, if you have different notifications, whether it's posts, replies, whether it's somebody resharing your stuff, whether it's messages or direct messages, like what's the first thing you look at? If you messages usually same with you. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is even if you're logging in one time a month, um, if you see five emails or messages in there, that's probably the first place most people go. I mean, at least Mike and I, um, because I can immediately tell when I when I click in, is this a bot? Is this an automated message? Or is this a real person? It's a very easy. Um, doesn't take much intuition to see this. So say we're getting on even yourself once a month or hopefully more. If you're sending a message to a few people every time that you're on, you have to imagine at the very minimum, they're just checking their messages and they're going to see that you're a real person. So hopefully you'll be able to hear uh, back from those folks. And we've talked about this with interviewing, uh, how to reach out to hiring managers or uh, anybody that might be part of search committees and, and how to go about that. I think it's just a wonderful way to make sure you've got some skin in the game and easy action, which of course we're going to get to the action item in a little bit. So here's another mind-blowing stat for you. And I, I don't have these prepared. I'm just Googling them as we go. But this is from seven years ago, so this may have changed. But seven years ago, LinkedIn put out a statistic that 50% of users opt in for push notifications. And what that means is that if you are messaging them, they are receiving a notification on their phone that you've messaged them. That is so potent and powerful, especially as we're talking about you know opportunities to connect with people that are on the other side of the country, um, in a different country. The ability to say, oh my goodness, this guy is the the director of marketing at this pharmaceutical company. And I think I have something that might be really interesting for them in terms of educational content. Send them a LinkedIn message. Now, if you're doing that and it's spammy, then that's not going to be great. And that's not good for your brand. But at the same time, LinkedIn offers this incredible opportunity to connect with people that you would never have that person's email. You would never, you know, if you called that person's office and said, hey, can I get a cell phone number? They would laugh at you. And yet LinkedIn offers this incredible access. And I don't think people realize, A, how potent and powerful it is and don't take advantage of it. Yeah, that's really our our primary farm team to get people on the podcast, right? Why? 
Oh, yeah. Being bold. Yeah. If there's anything I've learned from this podcast is if I see someone interesting on LinkedIn that I think in their messaging and what they're doing is interesting and fits what we're trying to do here, I message them on LinkedIn. And we've met so many cool people. We've met people that, um, you know, when we initially started talking to them, we were, you know, not thinking that they would have interest in our little show. And it's been an incredible opportunity to network. And it's not anything necessarily that we're doing special to the podcast, but maybe rather just that the podcast has given us more of an emboldened feeling to reach out and, and feel like we have um, an opportunity to do so with not our feelings being hurt if they say no. You know, if someone says, no, we're not coming on the show, that's fine. That's not a big deal. So wh what else does LinkedIn do for us besides this global connectivity? So we talked last week or the week before in a previous episode we we spent an entire 45 minutes talking about personal branding and if anyone did not listen to that episode i highly encourage them to go back because i think linkedin ties directly to your personal brand in today's a day and age even if you are primary clinical and you have no intent of ever being anything but primarily clinical patients are looking you up online people are checking in on you colleagues who may be referring to you are going to be looking you up online so you have to be mindful of what your online presence is. And I think LinkedIn offers an opportunity to build that professional brand, but also have a nice curated um, opportunity to present, you know, a living CV or a dynamic CV where people can go on your LinkedIn and see what articles you're sharing, what things you're commenting on. So my action item for LinkedIn, if you want, I can kind of wrap this up with an action item because this is the one that I, I really feel, feel strongly about is even if you are not looking to change jobs, even if you are not thinking about career progression, make it a goal of having a LinkedIn account that is updated, that reflects your current CV, has all your appropriate experiences, things like that, and then have the goal be to post on it once per week. You don't have to make these big, long, flowing posts that show how, how much of a social media influence you are, but if you are reading an interesting CME article, if you read an interesting journal for your job, share it and say, here's what I found interesting. The way that I like to think about my LinkedIn feed is if I were out having coffee with a group of colleagues and we were doing like an informal journal club, if I had an article that I thought was interesting that I would share with my coworkers or my colleagues, that's probably an appropriate thing to share on LinkedIn and say, hey, this is a really interesting article that I read about chat GPT and AI. I'd love to share it with you. That's all you have to put. You don't have to analyze it. You don't have to tell everyone why it's important you don't have to make yourself look smart. I think so often we try to be more complicated than we need to be. Just share it and say, interesting article, wanted to share. The importance of that is if you're doing that once per week, if a recruiter comes onto your LinkedIn, if a potential employer, heck, if a patient stumbles upon your LinkedIn, what they see then is a feed that shows your area of visit, areas of interest, shows the areas where you're keeping up in your field, and also gives them an idea for what your expertise or what your clinical skill set may be based on what you're reading, based on what you're analyzing. Okay, so LinkedIn is obviously, again, a treasure trove of different ways in which we can reach out to many people across different, uh, or rather make collaborative efforts. Uh, I mean, you and I, we're a pharmacist and a PA. Mo moving forward, uh, we could talk about LinkedIn all day because I've got so many things to say about LinkedIn. But I do want to say, Mike, you do you do a great job um, posting relevant articles and just really pointing people to the article rather than evaluating it yourself, uh, like you mentioned. And it really is, I think, a lot of people who are in the clinical setting, uh, 
worry about staying with the times and up to date. And LinkedIn is an easy way instead of Googling all your questions or how to stay up to date. If you're active in any of these groups on LinkedIn, most of you don't have to do a ton of research to stay up to date. Don't worry about clicks. I think LinkedIn is different where when you're posting, don't formulate your posts based on what you think is going to get the most engagement. Don't make posts that you think show yourself to be smart. Rather, just post the things that you find interesting. Post the things that you find relevant to your career. Think about LinkedIn not as social media or social media influencing. Think of LinkedIn as a living and dynamic CV. It gives people insight into where you're at professionally. So if you're not hung up on, oh my gosh, I posted this article and only three people liked it, who cares? If it's an article that's relevant to you, if it's an article that's interesting to your field, throw it up there just to show, hey, this is where my career is at. This is how I'm progressing, how, how I'm developing as a clinician. So that's probably one of the simplest things that we can do with networking. Now, let's take it to one of the more difficult ones on the very opposite of the spectrum is conferences and seminars because of how much time this takes, the money cost, uh, opportunity cost, all these other things that we could look at and say, ah, it seems like too much time to take out of my life to go to. Let's let's discuss what conferences and seminars, how, how this can help with our networking. So I, I'd like to kick it back to that conference you and I attended. We we co-presented at a conference. My goodness, that was back in 2022. Time is flying. But so, John, when you and I went to that conference and we presented a, uh, a, a talk, but in between the talk, we were in the industry hall and we were networking hard. And I think one of the values there is it was a a local New York conference for PAs. So there was a lot of people there that I had prior connections with. And it was a really great opportunity to take you around the room and have you meet people and connect and kind of make introductions that way. And it correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you have several connections that have came out of that conference that of people that you still keep in touch with. And there's still, you know, opportunities there for cross-pollination and collaboration. It, it was really wild. There was randomly, now this is a great story, Mike, when we presented um, it's not something I had ever done before. I was out of my comfort zone. I was with, uh, a lot of APPs. Like I, I'm a pharmacist. And so it was a little daunting. And when we got back from the conference, somebody that I worked with said, Hey, were you at a conference this weekend giving a, uh, a, a talk? I said, yeah, I was, she says, my, my husband was there. They saw you looked you up and I said, I work with that guy. And I said, wow, like, what a small world, but they loved it. We actually had a great presence when we were there as well. But back to your point, it it was wild to me that even though I wasn't really a part of that community at whole, because I was meeting and open uh, to talk with people I had no uh, previous contact with, that went miles uh, for my career. I've got such a great network of folks now just because I put myself out there and also Mike you helped me meet other people so it's also about us helping each other out um, introducing to other folks that we wouldn't necessarily say oh, we have something in common right now we could do a project together right at this moment but it's just casting a wide net meeting a wide amount of people various backgrounds so in the future something will come up 
I've got another story for you that's very similar. So Jeremy, who came on our show last year, the year before, it's been a while. Um, Jeremy is a nurse practitioner in psychiatry and a good friend. We end up kind of traveling in the same circuits because we do a lot of the same consulting work. And I was at a conference in November and Jeremy knew I was there and he came and hunted me down. And Jeremy being the perpetual extrovert, I love it. He's my, he's my, uh, you know, the antithesis. He's the Lex Luthor, the bizarro. I'm going to, I'm going to mess up the comic book reference, but he came like grabbed me by the collar. He's like, have you met this person? Have you met this person? Have you met this person? And spent the next hour of his time just shuttling me around the conference room and introducing me to people in the pharmaceutical industry. And I am so appreciative of that because A, he was incredibly generous with his time, uh, but B, he's just, he's very good at networking. He's an extrovert. He, you can tell he gets fulfilled by talking to people and having those interactions. For me, it's not natural. It's not intentional. It's something that I don't necessarily enjoy. I have to be very intentional about it. But Jeremy does a great job of just building those connections, not necessarily with a specific goal. It's not a, I'm going to go into this with a quid pro quo. I'm going to say hello to you and then we're going to have coffee because then we're going to work on this project. But rather, hey, what are your areas of interest? What are your areas of expertise? Okay, great. You know, if there's ever a project down the road, we can work on that. And I think that's where conferences are so great. If you're meeting people and, you know, every time you meet someone, you say, let's grab coffee. It's hard. You know, you, you can't necessarily carve out four hours of your week just to network with people. That's unreasonable. But when you go to a conference, you can walk around, you can just, you know, run into people that you've seen before, maybe meet people that you haven't. And it's a much lower threshold of interaction where you can still exchange business cards or you can, you know, snag each other on LinkedIn. And you never know where those relationships will end up long term. A lot of them may not go anywhere because that's, you know, the nature of it. But even if you go to a conference and you get one or two meaningful connections that lead to more educational opportunity, uh, maybe more opportunities for collaboration or consulting, one or two of those out of a conference is a massive opportunity. Do employers ever pay for these types of things? Uh, is it something that we could make a little bit easier? Is it as daunting as we're making it out to be? I think it's not as daunting as we make it out to be. So it's interesting because there's a massive disconnect. Over 90% of employers will provide some sort of re CME reimbursement. So the vast majority of healthcare professionals listening to this podcast are getting some reimbursement of their CME. And yet, I don't think 90% of healthcare professionals are attending in-person conferences year in and year out. I think a lot of times we're looking to get our CME done through up-to-date, through journal reading and things like that. And all those are important, but you lose that opportunity to have those... Um, those collisions, I guess, for lack of a better term, where you're meeting people that maybe are outside of your area of expertise, or maybe meeting people that are doing the exact same thing as you, but are doing it in California across the country. And those opportunities are so valuable. So I, even with my team here, we talk a lot. I always push them to go to in-person conferences. Now, if they have to do a virtual conference or virtual CME, so be it. I know life doesn't always allow you to get away, but I think there's so much value to going to in-person conferences. And for most healthcare professionals, you will be able to get it some level or all of it reimbursed. So it's definitely worth going, especially if your employer is paying for it. Pharmacists, this is very different for all of you. We know um, being in a community pharmacy setting, retail pharmacy setting, which is the majority of pharmacists, uh, you don't necessarily get reimbursed. You don't necessarily get the time to go and do these things, which makes it very difficult um, to move forward. But 
there are professional associations that we're going to talk about that it's more local that has still has a wonderful impact and if your goal is to stay in community pharmacy or retail pharmacy you don't really want to necessarily move uh progressing your career to different areas uh being a part of your local association might even be better than these national uh conventions anyways so let's talk about professional associations what type of advantages do these offer us let me pause you for a second because I want to put my action item on and it's going to be exactly what you just said is I think the action item for conferences is talk to your employer, find out what level of CME reimbursement you get, and then try and identify for 2024, identify a conference to attend. If going to a national conference is either A, too expensive or B, overwhelming, then check out a local conference. Start with something that is just maybe a local conference held by a professional association a lot of times those local conferences are very cheap. So the action item for conferences is go to one. Make a commitment in 2024 to attend some in-person medical education conference and just see how it goes. All right, back to regular scheduled programs. So let's talk about associations because I wanted to make sure that we're, we're giving action items on each one of these, but it's a great transition. It's, it's kind of hard because when you talk about local conferences, what you're really meaning is associations that are putting on conferences. So it's hard because we've delineated these as two separate things when really they are kind of one hybrid. So talk to me about professional associations. I'm actually going to kick it to you on this one because I'd love your thoughts because I know you're very passionate about um, advocacy and the importance of membership. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the value of networking within professional associations. Most of the time when we're talking about associations, we're thinking about uh, national organizations but we can also talk about chapters local. Uh, so these national conventions that are put on or these organizational educational seminars that are put on are usually put on by these national organizations. But with our chapters, we still have our local organizations that could meet at you know, a restaurant. We could be meeting at a Holiday Inn, wherever for these conferences to do CMEs or even just uh, annual meetings. Now, I would say... I want to talk more about our local chapters because with local chapters, uh, you're going to have a greater impact on the folks that you meet because they're already in your community. And if you have any sort of collaborative ideas or you're already working on projects, this is where you might meet somebody uh, at your table um, eating dinner, just uh, shooting the proverbial ass stuff will come up because most of the time when we're at these places, because uh, it happens even at dinner, meeting other folks that have outside of work, uh, we're always asking, what do you do for work? Uh, so it's not like we're only going to be talking about our kids at these things. It's mostly going to be professional. So your side projects, your hustles, your current passions and work are going to come up. Uh, and the more often you go fishing, the better chance you are going to getting uh, at getting a fish. So if you go to these conferences or these local chapter meetings, you're going to eventually find somebody who either wants to work with you or you align or uh, maybe even ignites a passion that you never even thought about. And you could potentially even find a mentor that way as well. Uh, but of course, we're going to probably get to that. Uh, but Mike, I want to I ask you too about your local chapter versus these national conventions. Like, How do, how do you view the differences, advantages, disadvantages? It's interesting because even yesterday I had a situation where there was a, 
a payoff of having good local networking. So I had a patient that apparently is at the psychiatric emergency room. And one of the nurse practitioners that works at the emergency room who I've connected with in the past uh, sent me a message on my phone because we had our phone numbers and just texted me and said, hey, your patient just showed up here. Can I call you real quick? And instead of having to have her call my office and leave a message with the secretary who then let me know to call back the hospital and then I sit on hold with the hospital for 20 minutes as they page the provider, I just called her cell phone. And it was great. And we had a five minute chat and we were able to really quickly get to the meat of it. You know, why the patient had shown up, what I was comfortable with them doing there, you know, in terms of med changes, things like that. And it really, it was able to reduce or smooth out a friction point where it probably would have been a minimum of a half an hour of my time to try and connect if with the provider if I hadn't already personally networked with her because I knew her because we had each other's cell phone numbers, five minute conversation. So better for the patient, better for both of us, more efficient. And all of that came from networking because she and I had, you know, been at a dinner or something at some point where we had connected and and exchanged information. So there's so much opportunity, even within your local community, where I know here in Buffalo, uh, the New York State PA Association has a Western New York district and they put on monthly meetings and they're sponsored by, you know, industry. But it's a great opportunity to go and meet other people that may not necessarily be in your specialty because PA is a very broad and diverse specialty area of um, practice. But it's a really great opportunity to just hear from other people what they're doing. Like you said, it's a great opportunity to potentially find jobs. Maybe you know someone that's working at the health system 10 minutes down the road and then you're at dinner and they say, hey, we're actually gearing up to hire and expand out this department. Would you be interested? Getting back to where we started, so many times job listings never make it public. They're either filled internally or they're filled through personal connections. So having more of those connections and knowing who's doing what can really be helpful for career advancement or even just help facilitate better clinical care, as we talked about in my example. I could talk about professional associations quite a bit more because there's more I want to say about it, but there needs to be an action item. Um, Mike, what do we do about professional associations? All right. So my action item, it's, it's similar to the networking or to the uh, conference action item. It's not a hard one. So the action item for this is to join your state and national professional organization. So for John, that would be to join whatever the national pharmacist association is. And then presumably the New York state pharmacy association. For me, that would be the American Academy of Physician Associates and then the New York state. Um, Society of PAs, which I'm a member of both. So I'm already following through on my action item. But there is so much opportunity for specialized networking, opportunity for continued education. A lot of times they'll have local conferences, like we said earlier, and opportunities to advocate for your own profession. Make sure that you are represented, that you are visible at a legislative level or even public facing. So the action item for this is join your organization. A lot of times employers will actually reimburse you for professional membership. So it's also something that you may not even have to pay out of pocket for. Have that conversation with your employer. I think it offers opportunity, uh, potential opportunity and discovery of potential passions. Lastly, within your own organization, uh, how do we network within the company organization that you are currently uh, already a part of? Now, I want to ask you about this, Mike, and then I've got a question for you. 
So first of all, we all have very, very different hierarchies and organizational structures across our listeners. How do we navigate? Because there's going to be different politics at one versus zero politics at another. So this is an area, full transparency, I, I kind of like that we're living out our careers publicly and, and we have people that reach out to us and let us know when we're falling short. So thank you for that. But this is an area I struggle with. And the reason being is at my organization, we have, I think, over 80 providers. There's different neurologic specialties. And psychiatry ends up being very specialized and somewhat siloed from that just because we're not neuro, even though we're part of the brain. Uh, the way that we practice, both clinically and then even from a, a logistical standpoint, ends up being different. So our natural day-to-day -day is a little bit more segmented from the rest of neurology. And as a result, I don't make enough of an effort to network within my organization. And this became very apparent to me. I was at dinner last week and I was at dinner and one of the partners from my practice was at the dinner and we were talking and she said, oh, I don't even, I didn't even know you had a podcast. And I said, oh yeah. And then I made a joke and I said, oh, if only my employer would support me in it or something like that. And it was meant to be funny. And then I realized, I was like, Mike, you idiot. Like, you don't know this person well enough to be sarcastic and making jokes. So then I clarified with her. I said, actually, Dent has been great. And they have been, they, they actually have our podcast on their website. I don't know if you knew that, but so they've been incredibly supportive of this, which has been a lot of fun. Because um, obviously it's much easier to do fun stuff like this when your employer is on board. But I made the joke, freaked out because I realized that I made the joke and that she may not have realized that I'm a sarcastic person who likes to be somewhat cynically sarcastic. So I had to clarify with her and it was really a, an inflection point for me of, I don't know the people I work with well enough. I don't make enough effort to know that because the fact that a partner came and we were chatting and I felt like I hadn't talked to her or interacted with her in months was really, to me, that was an indictment on my own networking within my organization. So this is something I've actually been thinking about a lot just over the past week of different ways that I need to be more intentional to make sure that I'm at least having small talk, having conversation. Maybe I'm going to, you know, different clinics and, and just popping in and saying hello and just making sure that uh, I'm a presence there. Um, it's something that I think can be really, really valuable and important. Uh, because there's politics in offices and there's opportunities. So you may not ever know when you have someone in a different department at your hospital or, you know, someone on a different location of your practice that may have interest in a research project that also is relevant to you. Or maybe you're trying to, you know, get on a committee and then you need to call someone up that's in a different department and say, hey, would you support my nomination for this? There's a lot of value that comes from building those networks and making sure that you're generous with your time and with your knowledge. It's always a two-way street, but there is a lot of benefit of being intentional with that. And that's something that I'm doing a terrible job of personally. Relationships with people at work are much more important than we give it credit for. Yeah, I think that's right. So the action item with that is once again, rather simple. We're trying to make these action items as easy and achievable as possible. Get to know people within your organization that don't fall in your day-to-day -day role. So it's easy to interact with the people that you see day in and day out because of what you do clinically. Make a concerted effort to get to know the people that don't fall into that day-to-day -day clinical role. And that's something that I'm going to be working on. After we get you know done with this show, I'm hoping to keep myself accountable and continue to be uh, more 
intentional about how I network even within my own building. I had a question for you. I had, uh, so one of my mentees actually was asking me about mentorship. Uh, we were working together. He landed a new position. I helped him with negotiating. It was awesome. He got success. Um, but he was assigned a mentor within the company. And he pitched a question to me, and this is what I wanted to ask you. He already has a mentor uh, assigned by the company, and he found the VP to be very similar to him, or one of the VPs uh, in sales, and really wanted to ask him to be a mentor as well, to almost have two mentors. Is that appropriate? What would that do politically? Do you think that is appropriate to be asked for two? Yes. So I think it's great. And I don't know if you necessarily need to have two that are very, you know, formal, but I love that you brought this up because I'm reading Hidden Potential right now by Adam Grant, and I am trying to do a book per month. So at some point soon, I'll do a book review on it for the newsletter. But one of the studies that Adam Grant cites in his book talks about um, a law firm, and they look at career progression. And one of the metrics that they look at is mentorship. And what they found is the associates that were more likely to advance to partner were the ones that had two to three mentors. So the idea being that you probably do want to have mentorship that is a little bit diverse in perspective and experience, because if you just have one person, everybody is going to have strengths and everyone is also going to have areas where they may um, have blind spots or shortcomings. And in a mentor, you're really looking for someone to help guide you through your career. So I think having more than one source for that mentorship allows you to have that diversification. So if you have one mentor that is really, really strong in finance, but is really, really bad at interpersonal interaction, then having a different mentor who is maybe more relationally oriented can help smooth that out and make sure that as you develop in your career, that you're becoming as well-rounded um, as possible. So I think having multiple mentors is essential and necessary, um, certainly something that I would be fully supportive of. Getting to know people within your organization uh, outside of the day-to-day -day role, I think it's a great action item. I think that we could get a little bit more uh, molecular on how this could be done, but this is primarily an overview of, of different ways in which we can do this. So we could break these down in the future and get really nitty-gritty with it and even give, if we're talking about LinkedIn, give explicit directions on how you would actually post something or with the research that you would go into doing that post. Like maybe we go into that in the future, but many things we could talk about in the future. There's again, a treasure trove of where uh, easy things about, uh, easy ways to connect with other humans, uh, which really does help our wellness in of itself. Um, that sense of teamwork within uh, work, but also helping our professional uh, development as well. Yeah, Mike, I, I think this was a great conversation. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I think it's we were overdue to do a nice, more formal educational episode, so I'm glad you suggested it. So let's switch over to personal items. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? No, I, I will go first. So I have been, at, for anybody who's actually watched the, the videos online that we do the social media posts, you probably see my background changing all the time behind me. And the reason is, is because I cannot figure out exactly how I want to do my attic here. Um, but I'm going to do a little something here for anybody who wants to see. But I did these panels 
and I, I'm lining the whole basement with, or the whole attic with these things. And let me tell you, I bought some finishing uh, tools uh, for carpentry and I'm having a blast. And my wife has been seeing all the effort I've been putting into this and she's got plans for me now. So sometimes putting in 100% effort will get you more work that wasn't necessarily the panels do look nice, though. I'll, I'll describe them for since only like five people watch us on YouTube. Someday people want to watch our faces. But right now, I think we have radio voices. Well, you do have a uh, a face for radio. So on my end, mm, so many fun things. So I think the, the personal items. So on Monday nights, we are entering the phase of life where we have sports and you know, we're, we're basically professional taxi drivers. So Monday nights, miraculously continue to be the night where no one has any activities and it's amazing i rarely do any consulting work on mondays so i'm generally off and home and none of the kids have sports my wife doesn't work so monday nights have kind of somewhat defaulted into like family movie night or we've been being somewhat intentional about trying to make sure we do a family activity so last night we did pocahontas as our movie and my wife and I were unsure because we have four boys. We were like, I don't know. Are they going to like it? Is it going to be too girly? They loved it. Like on the edge of their seats, when John Smith was about to get executed, they were like, no, he didn't do anything wrong. They were super into it. And we made uh, Valentine's Day themed hot cocos using hot chocolate bombs that had heart-shaped marshmallows in it, made popcorn. So it was just a lovely night. Really, really fun. I think it's a, a really great example of being intentional, right? Is that you, if you're busy and life for so many of us is very busy, but making sure that you're carving out time for the things that are important and certainly spending time with family, making sure that at least, even if it's just one night a week, we have a night where all the kids are home, where both my wife and I are home and we can just focus on doing really good quality time. I think it's a very fulfilling. I, every Monday night, I feel, walk away with my cup filled. We've been watching Stranger Things with my two oldest boys. And so now we're getting to the time where you can actually watch things that you enjoy with the kids. And that, what a change. Yes, yes. We're getting there with the older two as well. And it's so much fun where it's not just cartoons anymore. I'm like chomping at the bit. I'm like, okay, when can the older two start watching Super Troopers? And like these like 90s stoner comedies, we're not there yet. But then I'm thinking back to our childhood. It's like, well, dang, I was watching those movies in middle school. So it's coming. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. This is White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Even leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next week, this is Mike and John. Everyone have a wonderful week. 